Welcome to Vision Driven with Resin Architecture, the podcast where we dive deep into the world of architecture, development, and construction. I'm your host, Greg Croft, and my co-host is Jamie Moulton, and we are thrilled to have you join us on this journey of learning, inspiration, and insight. When you talk about real estate, I would always recommend that you go into it with the exit in mind. Advice I'd give somebody that's presenting their case or pitching their, their loan to a bank. It's just to be really well prepared. Whether you're dreaming of building a space for your business or are simply curious about the fascinating world of architecture and development, join us on this exciting adventure as we unlock the secrets to successful projects and empower you to turn your vision into reality. We're excited to be here today. Um, with you, Tyler Barrett is with the Hartwell Corporation, uh, an insurance company. We actually do our insurance with with you guys, and uh, would love to have a conversation on on building insurance and and essentially, you know, if if a business owner is stepping into those shoes of also being the building owner, you know, what are the things that they should be concerned with from an insurance perspective? But if you want to start out and just give us kind of a high level view of your past, how you came into insurance and go from there. Sure. So um, I attended college at Idaho State University in Pocatello. Um, I, I studied marketing with an emphasis in advertising. Uh, as I was coming out of college, um, I was trying to find the right field to apply those skills. Um, and and I, I had a uh, childhood basketball coach that was uh, in the insurance business, and and that was recommended to me. So I started my career right out of college uh, with a mutual insurance company. Um, from there, I, uh, I I started an all state insurance agency in Scottsdale, Arizona. Tried to step outside of my little Idaho comfort zone for a little bit. Did that for a couple of years, and then upon return to Idaho, uh, started working with the Hartwell Corporation. Been there about ten years now just a little under 10 years. Um, I've, I've been on all sides of it, personal lines, commercial lines. As you're developing in the industry, you start to kind of come into your lanes or your niches. Our agency's heavy in construction and um, that's kind of where we really excel. So for the last better part of the decade, we've been providing risk management services for contractors and subcontractors and generals in our area and just getting familiar with with that so so describe for us what a risk management and insurance advisor does in the commercial development process yeah so i actually i attended a seminar one time and somebody said something that has stuck with me throughout my career uh, people don't like insurance because they they don't understand it and they don't have any control over it and so i think about that a lot in my uh, daily work um our job as a risk management consultant, I like to tell my customers, my clients, my job isn't to sell you anything. We like to come in and try and identify exposures that could have a negative financial impact to you or your business. Upon identifying those exposures, we then like to provide options for you to cover those exposures. Everybody has a different level of what we call risk tolerance. Um, you hear the term self-insure sometimes. Uh, some businesses like to self-insure against some risks. Some businesses like to make sure that they've insured every risk possible. So our job as a risk management advisor is just to help our clients, depending on what type of industry they're in, identify those exposures and provide options to cover those. So 
what is what does that look like? So if I am a uh, a business owner, I've already had kind of my insurance packages that I've had for a long time. And now I've got a, a building that I'm going to purchase and um, let's, you know, let, let's run with just a, a rough example. I'm going to purchase a million dollar building or I'm going to build a million dollar building. Um, and over time, a lot of times those uh, the building appreciates uh, is something that we see, but how do you help identify like do you guys have like a list of questions or what what does that process there look like yeah so we have an exposure questionnaire that that we go through with all of our clients but also understanding that the world is an evolving place right um I, i hate to go away from your point but the first thing that comes to mind is cyber liability this is something that has kind of always been around but as of recently has become a uh a major uh potential disaster for small businesses. These cyber cyber attackers are, are targeting small businesses. And so that would be an example of you have somebody that's been in business and they've done business the same way for a long time. A lot of times as the world develops and evolves, new exposures arise. Um, and, and new exposures always arise based on they've purchased this building. Uh, you know, insurance values are going up. Market conditions are changing trying to keep your finger on the pulse and stay in communication with your clients so that you can adequately advise them. So is that an annual review that you do or anytime there's a new milestone in a business, then you want to do a review? Yeah. And you know, if my customers would let me, if they wanted to see me that often, I'd love to meet two or three times a year. Sometimes people are busy, but we'll meet as often as we can because it's important to, you have a lot of clients that you service and and businesses can grow at a rapid pace sometimes. And so the more you can be in communication with those clients, the better you can understand their needs. So at least once a year at a bare, at a bare minimum, but uh, hopefully twice a year, we can sit down, review exposures, review their payroll estimates, Make sure that there's no new business operations that they've, you know, they've been doing this forever, but now they want to branch out and have a different source of revenue here. They haven't anticipated what what that looks like from an insurance perspective. So I think the key is just communication and and we, we'd like to, to do that as often as possible. Um, recently, uh, Southeastern Idaho had a lot of flooding that occurred. And I know that businesses weren't covered and I don't know if there there was even a possibility for them to be covered because we're not actually in a flood zone. Um, that kind of risk, and, and maybe there's other risks that are similar to that, that, that would create some, some building coverage in those situations. What would you recommend there? So I guess the first thing I would say is it's important for a building owner or a property owner, a homeowner, to understand the difference between, because flood is a standard exclusion on right. most, if not all policies, and, and understanding the difference between flood water and maybe, say, a water heater bursting or a pipe freezing, water coming from an outside source versus water coming from inside the property, major difference. There are some carriers that will allow you to endorse some flood coverage back onto your policy. Uh, More often than not, though, that is a a separate policy that needs to be purchased. So going back to our exposure questionnaire that we we talked about a little earlier, we like to point out those key exclusions. Quake, mold and fungus remediation, flood, and then 
provide options to our clients on, on being able to purchase coverage for those types of events. Going back to risk tolerance, some people think, well, I don't live in a flood zone. Why would I need flood insurance? Heavy rainfall, rivers rising, you just never know. So that level of risk tolerance dictates, um, you know, how much insurance you feel you need. So are you saying then that anyone can purchase flood insurance, even if you're outside of a flood zone? Yes. Now, when I say anyone, underwriting conditions are always going to be different. If you're in a in an area that's much more higher to to flood waters, much more prone to flood, it could be more difficult to obtain coverage. But essentially, yes, for, for a property owner, you can go out and find coverage. So what are some common mistakes that you see people make when they're purchasing insurance to cover their build, uh, insuring their building? I think, um, <clears throat> I think one of the biggest mistakes is uh, a lack of understanding of the insurance marketplace and um, uh, replacement cost values, things like that, underwriting conditions. So if you're going to go out and purchase a building, it's important to know how easy will it be for me to obtain insurance on this property? Now, if the building's 40 years old, hasn't been updated, the roof hasn't been changed out in 20 years, those are going to be problems. Those are going to be factors that come into play as you're underwriting coverage for the property. Um, I think on a broad form, the biggest, uh, the biggest mistake is just people not having an understanding of what's available for them to buy. And I don't mean that in a way that it's it's always difficult to get insurance, but um, underwriting conditions are changing. Sometimes we go into a little bit harder market. And so um, having a good understanding of what's available to you in the insurance marketplace and, and how easy it will be for you to access that is really important when you're deciding uh, which direction you want to go with your finances. And I'm assuming that comes back to just having an advisor that you can talk to and kind of that'll do that risk assessment with you to kind of be like, hey, based on your risk assessment, then these are the items or the insurance things that we can actually provide back to you. Yeah, absolutely. In a perfect world, all of our clients would call us prior to making any decisions, but um, that doesn't always happen, right? People are busy and, and people get excited, but yeah, just having a conversation, having an advisor that you can have open lines of communication with can really help you when you're making those kind of kind of calls. So about how much time does it take to run just a, a budgetary estimate of whether a property can be insured? I know sometimes it's important to jump on a real estate purchase pretty quickly or uh, yeah. Um, with a quick review of the property, whether you drive by and look at it, you look at some photos, you get some information about the property, you can pretty quickly come up with an indication of where they're going to be at or, or problems that you might run into. So um, something like that, we can turn around very quick, especially in the scenario, like you said, there's something we need to jump on. That's something that's pretty, pretty easy for us to, and we have our finger on the pulse, right? We know what the carriers are doing. We know what their appetite is at the moment. So uh, that's something that's relatively easy to do with a little bit of communication. Um, what advice would you give someone who's looking to purchase their purchase and or build their first property? I think the best advice I could give would be surround yourself with the right people. Um, work with reputable real estate brokers, work with reputable financial institutions. Nothing beats experience and nothing beats relationships, right? So I think the main piece of advice I would give people is to surround themselves with the right centers of influence, if you will. Um, 
on a more on a more broad note uh sorry i brought some notes here um going back to understanding the insurance marketplace underwriting requirements those are things that that we can talk about if you're look if you're a business owner or a developer you're looking to purchase a a property say in a strip mall for example what does the lease say about who your potential neighbors might be or who your current neighbors are you could try and open up a flower shop in a strip mall with little knowledge that if a higher risk business moves in next door, maybe a welder, a cabinet builder, a medical marijuana shop, something like that, those types of external factors can impact your ability to obtain insurance at, at your property. So I think just understand having a, a broad understanding of the insurance marketplace and surrounding yourself with the right people would be, be my biggest advice. So on that, I guess, kind of adding on to that question. So if uh, we're actually, so I'm going to throw in a bonus question right now. So we're, our company is looking at purchasing just the property next door to us, which is just really for the land, but there's an operating business there. And, but there wouldn't really be any impact where it's an individual piece of land to our insurance. I mean, we have to add insurance for that. But there, uh, what what you were talking about earlier is that specific to a strip mall, or is that, hey, look at the other buildings that might be around you, and yeah, there's a medical dispensary right here, or a medical marijuana dispensary right here, which is one property over, but they're twenty feet away. Is that going to have an insurance impact? Depending on the neighbor, right? If it's in, if it's in a detached building. It, depending on the neighbor and the type of traffic you're going to have in there, that absolutely could influence it. Probably less so than if you're in an adjoined structure. Um, but a, as far as a standalone building, you probably have a little bit less to worry about there. Um, there's a lot of businesses here in this small area and a lot of traffic. So, yeah. So I have two questions. I'll try and hold on to both of them. But we've, how far out are you? looking are you looking within a half a mile radius to see what else is going to impact you or is it closer a quarter no and i probably opened up a box there i don't want to open up but <laughs> no uh the main point there was you know it's a little different in a strip mall where everybody's so centralized but if, if you've got a neighbor doing something a little bit more high risk a half a mile or a quarter mile down the road that that likely wouldn't be a concern and the risks there are, um, well, with welding, I would assume that's a physical risk of uh, fire or yeah. uh, the, the, um, the chemicals that are on site. But with medical marijuana, I would assume that's more of a um, security issue. Yeah. It's a cash heavy business, right? It's not regulated as much as other industries could it could influence the type of traffic that you have, the type of lie, and that comes with increased liability exposures for you and your business. But um, so, other than the the cash and security issue, and then the storage of dangerous uh, chemicals, what other kinds of things should people be aware of as far as their neighbors and what is going on around them that might influence their own insurance? That that's a little bit tougher. Um, to that question, I think the, the, the main focus or the, the primary focus would be on your own building, the age of the building, how old is the roof, uh, when was the electrical and the plumbing updated, those types of things. But um, it, it's, it's not as often we run into an issue where 
uh, you've got a tenant that causes a problem for you. But just as a broad example, that could create underwriting uh, limitations, I guess. Well, you had also mentioned that um, people need to be savvy about the insurance market. How do you recommend they educate themselves? Talk to somebody. Talk to somebody like us prior to making an investment. Um, you know, I keep going back to replacement cost values. That's that's changed so much just over the last two years. Um, unforeseen events, COVID. I could go into that for for a bunch of minutes if you'd allow me to. But things like that. Um, going back to property values, uh, people have, seem to have a limited understanding sometimes of market value versus you know, purchase value versus cost to cost to replace. When you're talking about replacement cost, you have to uh, consider all sorts of external factors. Um, we talked earlier before the, the show about labor shortages and things like that. It's hard to find contractors right now to do the work. We went through a period of time where it was tough to find supplies. All of those types of things impact an insurance company's ability to make you whole after a loss. And uh, the, the more obstacles they have to get you to that that point of indemnity, uh, the more costly it becomes. And so when you're considering replacement costs, you have to look at all sorts of different factors. When I started in this business, it was, you know, you'd look at a building and you could pretty, pretty easily eyeball a $75 a square foot cost to replace. It's not uncommon anymore to see a, a basic structure at 150 or 200 bucks a square foot. And um, that's important. There's a term in our industry called co-insurance. Co-insurance is much different than what you might hear of in the health insurance industry. So uh, co-insurance by definition is, it's a penalty that the insurance company can impose upon the insured for failing to insure to value. So for example, if you have a property policy and you have a 90% co-insurance clause, what that means in, in short is at the time of a loss, a covered cause of loss, if that if you need to have that property insured to at least 90% of the actual cost to replace it, or you could potentially be penalized on a smaller loss. So for example, you have a million dollar building. You tell the insurance company, I want to insure it for a half a million bucks. You have a $250,000 fire loss. The insurance company then looks at that like, I've charged you to insure this building for a half a million bucks. It's worth a million. Which half are we covering here? So then they can penalize you back on that loss. So understanding the difference between replacement cost and, and those different types of values that, that impact our decisions is very important. Yeah. Um, I guess going off that question a little bit, uh, so the, the co-insurance side of things, um, is there a good way to get an assessment done? Because, um, like for example, um, I mean, if I, this is stepping into a little bit of my personal life. Um, so we bought a building, it's a hundred year old building, uh, and the bar next door collapsed and it, and it has caused minor damage to my building. Um, on the co-insurance side so far, they haven't really mentioned that, but we're finally getting numbers back, uh, hopefully here in the next week. And so, uh, we'll see what insurance says there. But, um, the, the question that I have is like, okay, well, if we were to try to bring this building up to code today, um, so architectural structural codes, 
it would actually cost a tremendous amount, way, way more than what the building cost and, and well above what we're insured for. Um, and so, you know, taking an older building into, into account like that, what would you, is there like additional insurances that you would say, well, you need to get this, this code insurance or this electrical insurance, you know, like, I don't know what all the different things are. I just know where the building lacks currently. And, um, yeah. What would you say about that? Great question. So on a building like that, for example, at the time you purchase it, you've got a pretty good idea of the value of the building. Now, if the building were to burn down, changes to our building codes, changes to, you know, permits and regulations can cause an increase in the cost to construct. There are endorsements that you can add to your policy that can account for that, some of that um, increased cost associated with bringing it back to code as you rebuild, right? Um, that's a great question. So are mo like most people that are buying these older buildings and maybe they're doing, because we've done a few um, remodels in downtown Idaho Falls, similar sort of situation where it's like, hey, most of these buildings are 60, 70, 80, 100 years old. Like, you know, there's, there's some, there's still life in them. Uh, there's three courses of brick that's been there for a hundred years and, and treated right. It'll be there for another hundred, uh, especially, you know, you look at areas like back East where it's like, there's buildings over there, three, 400 years old that are still there. Uh, and, and some of them actually look fantastic because they've been taken care of. But if, if one of them were to fail, it's like, well, you're not going to rebuild and have, the same look, you're going to lose that historic value. And so, um, I guess it, it creates just some difficulty in like, well, what's the, cause if I wanted to replace it and say, well, I want interior brick walls still because I like that look, that's not normal code even today. Yeah. And that's going to be more difficult to do. Right. And sometimes you can get what's called functional replacement cost. So a historical building with some unique architecture and, and some of that, as it burns down, it's tough to reconstruct that the way that it was. It's more expensive to insure it, to, to look at it that way. A functional replacement cost would be let's rebuild this thing and make it functional for their business operations moving forward, but maybe not build it exactly right. like it was. And then going back to your point, as you're improving and, and making betterments to the building, the value is continuously increasing. It's really easy to write a property policy and not, you know, not talk to that individual for a couple of years. All of that remodeling, all of that extra money and time and work that goes into it increases the value of the building and it increases your financial uh, um, output should something go wrong. So, so then on the co-insurance side, I mean, taking COVID over the last two years where Prices, it seems like from our side, hey, most buildings you can build for 150, 200 bucks. All of a sudden, we were seeing 300, 400 bucks a square foot. Most people are probably underinsured that bought insurance two years ago. Extremely possible. Yeah. And, right. and that goes back to that communication and that talking with an advisor and talking with somebody that, that understands it and, and making those changes as they, as they come. Yeah. Okay. But COVID was a, was a really good example of a, a curveball that happens. So, you know, especially to a new developer or somebody that's bought some commercial real estate, how do you anticipate 
something like that. Uh, there's questions that we would ask, like, um, do you require that you're in your lease that your tenant carry business interruption coverage so that if there is this unforeseen event, um, this financial impact doesn't trickle back your way, that they, they have the power to stay. They have the right coverage in place to offset the loss of income, to offset that business interruption. Um, another thing that came with COVID was, uh, you know, a lot of vacant buildings, um, understanding vacancy clauses. When you've got a building that's not occupied at X percent of the time, uh, insurance carriers get a little bit weary of that. And they have vacancy clauses for that reason. If a water pipe bursts, it's tough to mitigate damages if nobody's there. So what happens? It just gets worse and worse and worse. And so understanding all of those little nuances of your policy and how they could have a negative financial impact are really important. Can you talk to us about uh, insuring a building during the construction phase? Yeah. So this is a really good point. Um, understanding who's responsible for the course of construction, right? Uh, builder's risk is what it's commonly called. Um, sometimes the contractor provides that. Sometimes you're responsible for that. Sometimes the subcontractor is responsible for that. Who's responsible if you get this project halfway completed? And there's a, a weather disaster or, you know, a fire or something, something like that happens. Builders risk policies are not standardized like a lot of policies. They're not all created equal. They're all different. Um, one other thing that we saw during COVID was a, a disruption to the supply chain, for example. Um, in response to that, contractors were ordering a lot more materials ahead of time to make sure that they weren't going to have a slowdown in their work. But similar to that, you've got $100,000 worth of windows sitting on a job site that you've paid for and they're waiting to be installed. Knowing that that's covered is very important at that point, right? So who's responsible for providing the course of construction policy? Uh, and then, um, you know, I'd like to go into risk transfer a little bit if I can, just kind of sideball. We talk about, I mentioned risk tolerance earlier. Um, I don't know about you, but I'd like to take as little risk as possible as I get older. Uh, and so when we say risk transfer, transfer as much of that risk down to a lower tier subcontractor as possible. If they have, if you have an issue because of result of their operations, you want to know that their carrier, their insurance is going to be primary. You still want to be protected in the event that that fails, but risk transfer is, is something that, um, you could go into for hours with your agent and carriers love it and we love it and and we want to protect our clients right and so transfer as much of that risk as possible understand the language within the policy who's an additional insured what does waiver of subrogation mean some of those types of things um, can really have a big impact what what do those what do those things mean yeah, waiver of subrogation it's waiving the right to subrogate back against the other carrier. So subrogation sue, is sue them back. Yeah. Or... I'll try and give you an example of subrogation. Um, I'm in an auto accident with somebody who's uninsured. Okay. Or they're underinsured. And as a result of that, my insurance carrier then has to step in and, and pick up the slack. There's a good possibility depending on the size or severity of the claim that that carrier could then subrogate back against the responsible party for those financial damages. So um, 
kind of bobtailing off this a little bit. I wanted to mention this earlier when we were talking about uh, commercial properties. It's really important to make sure that the lease requirements track with the insurance. And um, what are you signing when you sign that lease? A lot of people sign a lease and then they'll send it over to us and they'll say, Hey, I need this, this, or this. Well, some of those requirements can be stringent. A lot of, you know, especially if you're working with a large developer that's maybe got a boilerplate lease or, or, or requirement, some of those requirements can be tougher to obtain based on, you know, where you're at. So, um, yeah, just a couple thoughts there, but. Um, based on your experience, what's the one piece of advice that you wish every client came to you knowing? Um, understanding the importance of, of staying power, right? Being able to, to keep afloat in good times, bad times, everything in between. And, and I think you can accomplish that by leveraging your relationships. Um, we talk about this a lot when we're remarketing accounts. If you, uh, the insurance marketplace, it seems big. Uh, on the grand scheme of things, it's pretty small. So if I could give you an example of that, a good agent will try and get you with a carrier that's going to provide you stability in the marketplace, stability with your pricing, the coverages that you need. We don't want to be shopping those policies every year. It's cyclical. It, it comes and goes, but you want to partner with the right carrier um, and you want to have that, that staying power, uh, within whatever industry you're in. So, um, do insurance policies always renew, uh, annually or can you buy them for longer term? You know, so some carriers will offer, that's a great question. Some carriers, not all will offer a three-year term and in a three-year term, they will essentially, for lack of a better word, lock in your rates on your property, your general liability, some of those other lines of coverage, and typically something like the auto line or your umbrella, your excess liability will renew annually. Those exposures are re-rated annually, but you know, you get into a three-year policy with a carrier, it doesn't mean that you're locked in for three years. If market conditions change or a better carrier arises, same deal, you can come or go as you please. It only benefits you it protects you if you have a bad claim one year in or a year and a half in, or uh, there's a massive rate increase in the state, keeps those rates on your liability and your property exposure is pretty level. So anytime you can get a carrier that'll offer you a three-year term, it's of benefit to you. Awesome. Well, we really appreciate your time and answering our questions. And I feel like I'm a newbie when it comes to uh, insurance and I feel like probably most of our clients, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's that necessary evil, but the reality is, is when you need it, it's not, not necessary or not evil. And there's probably not enough of it when you do. So, uh, yeah, we really appreciate your time. Well, thank you for having me. Appreciate the opportunity. And we, we appreciate your partnership working with the Heartwell Corporation. And that wraps up another enlightening episode of Vision Driven. We hope you enjoyed our conversation and gained valuable insights into the world of architecture, development, and construction. And don't forget to leave us a review. Your feedback helps us grow and improve our content, and it also helps others discover the podcast. If you have any questions, suggestions for future topics, or if there's a specific guest you'd like us to feature, please reach out to us through our website, resinarchitecture.com or connect with us on social media at Resin Architecture. We value your input and would love to hear from you. 